0: So today, we're finishing up Romans chapter 13, which was, is all about loving your neighbor. Um, it is one of the tenets of our faith in Jesus. It's one of the commands that we see in Deuteronomy, and we see it in Leviticus, and we see this command that Jesus then wraps up the entire Ten Commandments into putting God first and loving your neighbor. And if you would really love your neighbor, everything else falls into place. And so um, it was not lost on me as getting the news of things back in West Virginia going crazy that I'm in the middle of a section of scripture that says I'm supposed to love my neighbor. So I got the message, God, I understand. Um, And it was kind of fitting and warm for me. Doesn't mean I'm still not upset and I still don't know what to do. There's part of me that wants to just get on a plane tomorrow and fly to West Virginia and hug on people, but they're in great hands with good leaders, and um, I can do that with the ones I'm in touch with now. But anyway, so today we're going to kind of wrap up 13, and we're going to look at how Paul is truly driving this. We're going to be in Galatians a little bit in one section uh, because Paul has this same theme in a couple different areas of Scripture. So let's pray, and we'll jump in. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Um, it is the rock that we cling to, the confession that you are the king, that you're the Messiah, and that you came in flesh, but also that you're the word that's alive and active. And so I pray, Lord, that this would tunnel into our hearts, that we would see that we are to lead with love first in every situation, and that would help us all to reflect the truth of who you are to people we encounter. Help us, Lord. We love you. Amen. So uh, we kind of have this... Paul calls us, and like last week we talked about public service in the state, and so Paul calls us to be active and involved in the state. And I know yesterday was the Wyoming primary, kinda. I don't know that, like, I teach this for a living, and I'm not sure if I understand it all, but, you know, it's all right. Uh, I'm used to Indiana where it's just everyone, like, literally would just go pull, like, straight Republican, straight Democrat, nobody paid attention to anything, they just did it. And so, we have, like, that's our idea of politics, is this is how politics happens, and then I think a lot of times, especially in this country, we are trying to figure out, like, we're citizens. We have the right to vote. We have the right. When Paul's writing Romans, there is no right to vote. There's no right to anything. There's the dictator. There's the Caesar. There's, like, in Rome, you just do what you're told, or you go to prison for it. There's punishment. So when Paul is writing in the first part of 13, and then he gets into even 14, um, he's really writing to a people group of people that have no voice. They don't have a say. They don't have a voice. They are just subject to the kingdom. They're going to do exactly what they're told or suffer the consequences. And so Paul pretty voraciously, that's not really the right word, he pretty confidently told them, You're not made for this. There's a kingdom coming. And then he tells them this is how you're going to live in hostile territory. And so that's kind of where we're at. He's telling them how do you live in hostile territory. How do you live with a God-honored, Scripture-driven, Jesus-centered conviction in a pagan world that believes you're crazy and wants nothing to do with what you're doing? And so think about the rest of the world. Like we have a belief of a, a, a rootedness in our faith in the United States and religious liberty, but the rest of the world is not there. So they are asked consistently, think about the Christians in the underground church in the Middle East. Think about the Christians in Iraq. Think about the Christians in Syria. Think about the Christians in Bethlehem, which is Palestinian-held territory. Like, think about all of these like, people that are Christians that are living in areas where it's illegal to be one. Right now in the nation of Turkey, the country of Turkey, we think that there are about 5,000 Christians in the whole country. And this last week, there were 10,000 mostly pastors at a conference in Louisville, Kentucky called together for the gospel. So sitting in a room where 10,000 pastors, but there's only 5,000 Christians in the whole country of Turkey. Kind of puts things in perspective. But there's more Christian leaders of a certain section of the Christian church in a place in Kentucky, and that's double all the actual Christians. So you've got to put your mindset there. So when Paul says, Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. This is not a a piece of scripture that says you can't ever have debt. People have twisted that. Well, this is why you should never get a loan. Pay cash for everything. Don't have a credit card. How dare you, right? Like there's, that's not what's going on here. Now Jesus has other wisdom himself in the Gospels when he's, you know, you need to pay into Caesar what's his. So if if Paul was getting at don't have debt, like you can't have a mortgage, then he we wouldn't see Paul writing, we wouldn't see Jesus saying, pay your taxes, because then you would owe them taxes. So you've got to kind of get that out of your head. He's talking about personal owe. He's simply saying you should love each other. Owe no one anything. Like, don't owe them venom. Don't owe them judgment. Don't like you don't have anything against them. Owe them nothing except to love each other. Owe. No one, anything. Just love them. Love them right where they're at. Don't harbor ill will for extended times. Don't have animosity. Don't have those people you refuse to talk to. Don't have those people that you hate deep in your heart. Owe them nothing. Except love them. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. So the fulfillment of the law, he draws us to the Old Testament. That the spirit produces in the the believer a love that can surpass all understanding. And you know these stories. You see them. You see people that come out of the Holocaust and they forgive the jailer. And you're like, What? How's that possible? Like, how can you do that? How can you have that kind of love? How can you like doesn't mean you want to like be best friends and have them over for coffee and like say, Hey, you want to live in my house? But you have a forgiveness and a love that says, I'm gonna love you through what you've even done to me. Right now in Japan with a crisis that's hit with earthquakes and people trapped, you're immediately going to see there's going to be story after story that's going to come out in the next several days of people that have dug in, have tunneled in, have tried to get in, that they've shown a complete disregard for their own well-being and their own safety, and they've shown love to each other. How often does it happen here at this church? Like we can start naming stories when people have suffered, people have had problems, and people just show up. People will walk up and hand me a check and say, get this to them, or what can I do? How can I help? What can I cook? What can we do? How can we... That's a way of showing love to even someone that you might not even have a long relationship with, or you might even have disliked for a while. If you've been in church long enough, especially one church long enough, there's going to be people that grade on you. That's just how we are. We all have different personalities. We kind of get irritated with each other. But then what a beautiful picture that after a long season, you can just say, you know, I love them. I don't want to like hang out with them all the time, but we're family. We see that over and over and over again in God's word. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in the word. In this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. And when you look at the Greek word for neighbor, it's one who is near. It doesn't necessarily mean the, the literal person next door to you. Someone near to you is your neighbor. The people you work with, the people in your family, the people you go to church with. They're your neighbor. So if you have the list of commandments, don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't covet. And any other commandment. Now, he didn't say, put God first, did he? Paul's talking about the things that destroy our personal relationships. How fast are relationships destroyed when you commit adultery? Pretty fast as soon as you bring someone else into your bed that's not your spouse, then you go right into destruction. And so if you really love someone, then you're not going to do that to them. You're not going to steal from them. How many times is covetedness, which just means, gosh, I wish I had their life. I wish I had their truck. I wish I had their money. I wish I had their house. I wish I had their job. I wish I had... How often is covetedness kind of crept in and caused us to be bitter towards other people? I can't be the only one. I, got, I saw some smiles. I know some of you are feeling me too. Like you hear about this certain profession in Laramie, and that lets them have a half-million-dollar house, and you're like, well, you know, they don't really do anything at that job. They just, right? How fast are we like that? Or someone drives by in a brand-new truck, and you see the GM, like, yellow plate on the front, And you see them in the window, like, how do they afford that? Like, they must be dealing drugs. How did they? There's no way they could do that. How did they get that? Why did he get the promotion? Why did she get that thing? Why, like, how fast do we, and so if you don't have that, if instead you're like, that's great. They deserve, like, that's great. I'm glad they're doing, how often are we like that? We're over the top with gratitude for people in our lives. But we're not like that. And it's been proven over and over and over again. There's been multiple psychological studies come out in the last five years that Facebook is leading to higher levels of depression at an alarming rate. Because people put their picture-perfect lives for everyone to see. Oh, my husband's so awesome. Oh, my wife, she's so... Oh, my children. Look how cute my kids are. And we're all guilty of it. I mean, I put cute, cute pictures up of my kids, too. We're all guilty of it. But how often do we put up the picture that says, well, here's you know, what my kids did today. And you put like the whole wall colored in crayon, and it's all a disaster. And, you know. Or my kids refused to shower today. I had to yell at them. And so now they're finally clean, but I sent them to bed angry. Like, no one puts that. Father of the year. No one does that. How often, but if we just had, if we really cared for each other, and I think we could sum it up by saying, do you really believe that people are image bearers of God? And you see this all the time. Someone in public service, someone that's in service industry, a waitress, a waiter, a teacher, a professor, a pastor, someone who has in their profession to serve, and then we get so nasty with them so fast. What is his problem with this restaurant? I ordered that 15 minutes ago. I got places to be. Do they not know I'm an important person? And you really think about it, you could have just packed a ham sandwich. Like, you didn't need to go there. Like, you could have, we all, most of us, I would say, probably have working kitchens. And like, instead of going, man, this is great. I get to go to this place, and they get to cook for me, and I don't have to cook, and it's taking a little bit of time, and I do have places to go, but I'm not going to let it stress me out too much. If, it's, if my schedule is really important, then I'll just leave. And I'll just say, hey, can you throw that in a bag? I'm going to head out. But how often do we just really get so wrapped up in this? Any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And if we would really see others as image bearers and want the best for them, then we wouldn't have these problems. We wouldn't have all this. Tim Keller says it this way, we do not love the society in which we live by compromising on obeying God's standards. Rather, we love it by obeying God's commands. The Christian either shuts himself off from society, nor conforms to it. By saying this, that we're going to love our neighbor does not mean we let everything slide. One of the most unloving things you could do is to let people continue in their sin. And there's a really delicate balancing act between being loving and being loving with the truth. And it's hard. I'm the first person to say I can't stand confrontation. It's pretty easy for me to confront people in their sin, like what are you doing? What's your problem? But it's painful when I have to confront when people confront me in my sin. I right, have to be honest with my sin, or it's someone I'm really close to or someone I have a great you know relationship with. but if it's someone that's just like in the church and I hear about it, I'll just go right to it. What is your problem? Right, not that brash, but it's difficult, isn't it? To look someone in the face and go, hey, you know, I, I love you. And the road you're going down is not a road of righteousness. And if, if, if I'm going to really prove my love to you, then I need to call you out on this. Monday night, I had the honor of helping out at the... There's a, a, the Navigators Ministry on campus has a leadership kind of training thing they do. About once a month, they'll go to Grace Baptist and they'll have a leadership training. So the topic was biblical conviction. And so Colton, who is on staff with NAVS, called me up and said, hey, would you like, lead in this, and could you do like help with this? And I said, sure. And, and I said, what's the topic? And he goes, well, we're going to break them up into, we want you to speak about 15 minutes on biblical conviction, and then we want you to, like, we're going to break up into three groups, and we're going to talk about three things, and then we'll come back together, and you can wrap it up in about 45 minutes. I go, like, okay, well, what's the topics? Homosexuality, sex before marriage, and alcohol. Like, really? Like that's what you're throwing at me? Like you're giving me all like those are those are easy ones. That's the good that's easy stuff. And you're gonna give me fifteen minutes to try to talk about biblical conviction, and you're gonna break them up into groups and you think this is gonna take forty-five minutes? Like each one of these is like a three-day seminar. Like what are you doing? And so we just kinda laid out that biblical conviction is important. And I gave him some resources and I just let him talk and then so I'm thinking it's all gonna be about like I wanna hear all these questions, it's gonna be, you know, crazy and who knows what's gonna happen. And then a young woman walks up, broken, asks a completely kind of leading question. You could see it in her face. She doesn't want to talk about just this thing. And it just pours out. Stuff in her past, stuff in her present. She's broken. She's hurting. And I could have just, like, put my arm around her and said, you know, it's okay. Like, I know you're going down this dark road and you're doing some things that are an affront to God, but it'll be okay. And I had to delicately delicately walk in to where, showing her the truth of Scripture, this isn't okay behavior, this isn't honoring of God with your life, but there's grace for you in it. God isn't done with you. He's not going to cast you aside. You are good enough for this group, because she didn't think she was, like, there's this delicate balance of showing people grace and love, but then also calling them to get help and calling them to truth. And I don't know if I get that right all the time. Sometimes I think I'm too far in the grace side, and then when I'm mad, I'm too far in the judgment side. And so you've got to pray constantly for a place of grace. And that's what Tim's trying to get at, Pastor Keller, is that we live with our standards from scripture in a society that rejects it, but we cannot reject our convictions. Do you? Not, am I the only one that struggles with that? Like to show on someone love, but then also go, "Hey, I love you, but you're wrong. I love you, but this we got to work on this." And that takes time. It takes relationship. It takes getting into people's lives. Like, you can't just have a picket sign. I know I've threatened this before, but if you picket, like on Grand, um, my truck may jump the curb. I would never run you over, but I would just scare you into dropping your picket sign and running. Like, that's not how we lead in love. That's not how we do things. So sometimes you're not the one. Like, you might notice something in someone in the church, and then you'll have to go to someone else and go, hey, I think you have a better relationship with them than I do, and I'm noticing this at work, and I don't think I have a right to speak into their life. Could, could you maybe? I'll go with you. But there's something going on, and we need to get to the bottom of it. Like, it's not our job to be the religious police and put it on the screen and have a big list of who needs prayed for because they're sinners. Like, that's not what we're going to do. But we have to be in people's lives. We see this in Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit. Now, just so you know, like, there's no S here in English or in Greek. It's not the fruits of the Spirit. And then you can go, well, you know, I've got self control, but I don't have a lot of patience. Well, those kind of go together. It's kind of a, like, and so what you see is most of these build. So the fruit of the Spirit is a, it's a singular, this is the fruit of the Spirit. As you grow in your relationship with God and you grow in your connectedness to Christ, then all of these come. There, there aren't fruits of the Spirit, it's fruit. So we should see this come out of us as we grow in our relationship with Christ. This isn't like a spiritual gift thing. Well, I've got a lot of love, peace, and joy, but I'm really impatient. You should become more patient as you're more connected to Christ. I know that's hard. Um, I just say that I've worn Amber down over 18 years of marriage because I tend to be the patient one, and she tends to not be, and so she's helped me become, like, I see the urgency in situations more now because of her, and she calms down because of me. So we're kind of a good match in that, sometimes. Okay, the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. But we have to look at this in context. What is Paul talking about? Well, if you go to Galatians, he's saying, walk by the Spirit. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So Paul lists out in Galatians, and he has a list for us in Romans in a second. It says the work of the flesh leads to all of these things that aren't leading to this. But he tells us, and I, I love this is the line that you kind of have to focus on. I warrant drunkenness orgies, things like these, so it's all encompassing. If you're led by the Spirit, then these things won't happen. He knows us. Now is he saying that you commit one of these, you're doomed? Of course not. Paul would never say that. If you have one of these in your past, you're ruined. He doesn't say that. But he's saying, as you grow in Christ, this will come out of you and the other things should fade away. Like, how do you know someone's saved? How do you know they're really living a life of Christ? Then this begins to bubble out more than the other. It doesn't mean we got it all figured out. If we all had it figured out, we wouldn't need to come to church, right? be perfect. We wouldn't struggle with things. Like the list in Galatians and the list here, like think about this, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. He's all just listing out the commandments. So if you could honestly walk out of here saying, you don't envy anymore, I don't think you can. I don't think you can. So how do you stop the envy? How do you stop the drunkenness? How do you stop the sexual immorality? How do you stop those things? It's not by just saying, I'm going cold turkey, I'm done. It's growing in the fruit of the Spirit. You connect more to Christ. So Paul, well, here's a chart. I just found this. I can send this to you. You can make a poster out of it. But what I liked about it was that it puts all the lines to the singular fruit. But you see how all the colors are kind of all jumbled in there? Too often we think of these as individual. We think, well, I've got the gift of peace and gentleness, but I don't have a lot of joy or love. It's not how it works. As you grow in your relationship with Jesus, they all grow. They all grow. Besides this, you know the time. That the hour is... the time, besides this, you know the time, that the hour has come to you to wake from sleep for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone the day is at hand. So this isn't Paul saying the end times are here because this is 2,000 years ago, we're all still here. So either we were all left behind or this hasn't happened yet. Hasn't happened yet let's be clear. So Paul's telling you know the time the hours come for you wake from sleep he's like he wants us to have this sense of urgency he wants us to have a sense of it's coming it's coming it's coming you need to be serious about this salvation is near to us now than we first believed that's kind of a dust tape it's like right when you say someone when someone tells you well I'm clo- I'm one day closer to death yes you are that's morbid why do you think like that but he's also trying to put into us a sense of urgency you might not have tomorrow. So, are you sharing the fruit of the Spirit? Are you sharing this truth? Are you in the society, in the city, working with community, showing the light of Christ where the light of Christ isn't shining? Are you active? Are you, whatever He's called you to do, are you a light of the gospel in that area? Because the night is far gone, the day is at hand. It's coming. It's coming. You're not promised tomorrow, it's coming. Are you sharing the truth of Christ? So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So Paul knew then in Rome and in Galatia 2,000 years ago that when we kind of play around in the dark, of these areas we struggle with, it causes our light to shine less. You don't see condemnation in what Paul is saying. He's not saying if you do these, then you're doomed forever, there's no salvation for you. But he's saying, make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. He knows this about us. He knows it about himself. We gravitate towards things of pleasure, towards things that are not of God. We gravitate towards things that can help snuff out our witness. He's not speaking condemnation. He's just saying that the cause of Christ and the gospel should go more than your own desires. And we'll get to 14 next week. Well, John will, at least half of it. Because he says, don't pass judgment on one another. Like, the rest of the story is, he's not asking you to judge each other. He's asking you to connect to Christ in a greater and deeper way each and every day so that the light of his death on the cross for our salvation would shine bright. And he tells us, put on Christ. Now, this isn't a weird, creepy horror movie where you're trying to put on, like, what's that? Is it Silence of the Lambs? One of those where you have like the creepy stuff going on. He's not saying to put it on. He's not saying put on a mask. He's, not, he's saying that you should, if you're a Christian following Christ, you should look the part. Now I know last week when I did the, um, when I officiated JT and Haley's wedding, it was pretty comical. Whenever I put a suit on, people notice. Because I don't wear one very often. I mean, I look good in a suit, but I don't do it very often. And when we, know, like we notice things about people when they're wearing things that don't really match. They don't really go. So if you were going to go work out at the rec center or over at the, you know, at the university or you're going to work out in town, just go for a run. And you see someone out for a run on the street and they're wearing a three-piece suit and they're out for a run, would you think they're training? They're training for, or would you think, like, that guy's running for his life? Or he's in a hurry, he's late for a meeting, or his car broke down, or you wouldn't think, I bet he's on like mile six of his, you know, 13 mile run. You wouldn't think that. Someone goes to the beach, and they're out there in, you know, golf clothes. They're out there with the polo shirt, some khakis, got the golf spikes, and they walk out, they lay their beach towel down, and they just start walking in, they just go for a swim, they come back and they lay down on the towel. You're going to think they're crazy you're going to think they're insane. What is that guy's problem? Like, I think he went, had spent too much time on the course, it fried his brain, and he thinks this is a sand? What's his problem? And so when Paul says, put on the Lord Jesus, he's saying that you should put on the appearance of a Christian, the appearance of a follower of God, that that we should look, there should be an aroma of grace, there should be an aroma of love that we exude. And isn't this what drives so many people away from the church? When Christians don't act like they have put on the armor of light, that they aren't putting on the Lord Jesus, and people are offended by us. How often do we resort to that? That's what Paul's getting at. There's a way to live in society. So if he's called you to serve, then you serve. You have a job to do. You have a job to do in this town. You have a place of work, a place of employment. But you should put on Christ and be the best example of Christ in that profession. Honor your employees. Honor your boss. Bust your butt. Work hard. Show them that Christians aren't just lazy people who want to debate and talk about coffee and pick on people. Show them. Serve in politics. Serve in government agencies. Like, too often we think it's... Either we're going to have a Christian enclave, we're going to put ourselves in a bubble, and we're going to stick to our moral convictions. We're not going to let anybody in, or we come over here and we compromise all of our biblical convictions, and we say, you know, I'm just, I'm just here, like I'm, I'm a Christian, but I also have this job, and you know, I'm just going to try. We just throw all of our convictions out the window. And Paul is saying, you, you got to do both. We must help a flourishing society. We do good, but we don't leave our convictions at home. That's a delicate balance. I can't tell you a list of how to make this happen. You have to connect to the Holy Spirit, listen to him, and he'll show you. Whether it's a college football team, it's working on campus, it's having a job in the public sector, it's working in retail, it's being retired, it's like all of these things come with their own set of difficulties and come with their own set of ways of how to navigate. But I promise you, if you're connected to Christ, he'll guide you through all of those. So we close. Lead with love by following Christ. How can you do that? How can you show up with someone who has hurt you Abused you, let you down. The list that Paul has in Galatia and in Romans of all the the immorality that exists in our world, how do you lead in that? Well, you lead first with Christ. You lead with him and you follow him to be able to lead with that love. Too often the church and too often um, so many world religions say you just need to clean up. Clean up, get better, be better follow the list, memorize the scripture, read every day, show up, dress right, be right, and it all fails, doesn't it? Has that ever worked for you? Has that ever worked? Well, I have this sin and I want to go away so I'm just going to white knuckle it and I'm going to get there and I'm going to, how often does that work? You might have success for a couple months, for a while, and then you're right back where you're at. And then there's guilt and shame and you feel down, you feel disconnected, and instead it should be Drive closer to the cross. Don't study scripture. Don't be in Christian community because you think that's the checklist you have to do. You do it because it's a place you feel the most joy. You open up this book every day and read just a sentence, a little bit of it. You pray every single day, not because you have to, not because the checklist makes you do it, but because you enjoy spending time with the Father. And as you connect with Him more, you will have that fruit of the Spirit oozing out of you. It'll happen. Now, I wish I could say that it would happen and be done in like just a couple weeks. A couple of weeks of Bible study. You'll get this figured out. it be great. It's going to be your whole life. That's a drag because I want to have success over the things I struggle with, like tomorrow. But it's also a place of great joy that in the length of my life, however many years God gives me, I'm going to grow to know him more and more and more and more each and every day. And then to know when I go off to heaven or the new heaven and new earth, that's going to continue forever and ever and ever. That there's always going to be something more to know about my king and something more to grow in my relationship with him. Isn't that the pictures of how our marriages should be? Like we don't get dry and stale and hate each other at the end of our marriages? But we learn more and new things and we grow together and grow closer for the whole length of the marriages that God gives us. Isn't that a picture of beauty? And that's what I want for us as a church and as a people. That we would grow continuously in our love of Christ and that's what people would see in this community and around this world. That's what's going to draw people in. So, how do you lead with love? By growing closer to Christ. As you grow closer to Christ then you can walk into those tense situations. You won't say something foolish. You won't be scared. But you'll know that it's truth and love. And that's how we're supposed to walk. Let's pray. Dearly Father, thank you for this time that a few of us have had in your word. And it's been good for me personally. Maybe that's the whole point of today. It's just for me, Lord that so many people struggle in so many ways to live lives of righteousness. and They feel disconnected from you because of the sin they struggle with, from where they're at in life. And I needed to see today, Lord, the hope that should be given to people. It's not following a list of rules. It's not having it all figured out. It's continuously staying in the fight to know you more and more each day. So I pray for everyone here, Lord, that they would never lose sight of the prize of your son, Jesus. That we get to enjoy him here on earth, and we're going to get to enjoy him forever and eternity. And that is a message of hope that this town, this community, this state, this nation, this planet needs. So help us to see all the areas that you want us to speak this hope and truth into. And give us the boldness to speak it. People are lurk, looking for answers in a hundred different directions and the only re- really an- real answer is found in you, Lord. So help us to share that. Help us to put you on and to let you shine through us. We love you. Amen. So during our hymn of invitation, if anybody has anything you want to pray about, then please share it with us. We would love to pray with you.